Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. I just asked you, are you ready to go? And you're like, okay, I guess. I guess, let's do this episode about comedy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're going to do a sad episode. Sad episode about laughing. Yeah. So today's episode is about comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Are you tired for some reason? Mm. I'm a bit tired. I think I've been like, well, I took on, you know, new work and I have lots of projects. And, uh-huh. and winter is longer than it should be in North America right now. It's Arctic spot. What do they call it? Some kind of polar <laughs> vortex or something. Polar in eternity. April. Yeah, in April. I, I love so. it. I love this weather. Really? It's, it's like, like bright it's, sun and you're not cold, cold, but just a crisp cold. And you're walking mm-hmm. around and uh, I don't know. It's perfect for so you, stro- you strolling to, about. Like a fall morning. Yeah. Uh, every uh, day. It's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, you can wear nice clothes and walk around and your feet are not freezing. You can wear light gloves. It's okay. Yeah, it's it's, it's funny you say that in New York, because New York for me uh, is quintessentially represented by like April, like a little bit of warmth, not yet smelly, like yeah, fresh, fresh green leaves against dirty concrete. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's something really hopeful about New York in the spring. It's probably my favorite time. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I always recommend people, they're like, oh, I want to move to New York. It's like, oh, no, don't, don't. Just... Come in April and come in October. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, just get the best and like get an Airbnb for a month, and you can be very social because the rest of the year you're you're too tired to go out. And but then in in that month you try every restaurant, you just meet every person that you can, and uh, yeah. Yeah, there's just like this energy in April in New York. Um, that's I don't know. I outside of maybe Paris. <laughs> now I'm gonna sound like some kind of bourgeoisie traveler, but like there are just certain cities where the spring. Just brings the whole city to life in just yeah. a really energetic way. Yeah, yeah. I, I think because I a think lot of street uh, patios yeah, but there. even I think Paris, London, and Amsterdam, mm-hmm. April can be very rainy or unpredictable. Can even snow. That's true. So I think those cities are fine in in July. It's not even that hot. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think I have these memories of, <laughs> you know, like you know, have travel memories growing up and like I've never maybe traveled. It's also. Well, I, I think for me in New York, it's like I've spent I've spent a lot of time in the spring in New York often. There's like usually some event that I've done uh, like at that time. Yeah. I, it, yeah. So it was New York always always represented new energy, new life, new ideas. And so I think of spring, I think of New York. But Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. 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 Well, uh, comedy. Yeah. So why did you want to talk about comedy? What's up? Well, I, I, we just have this... Um, app we share the notes and there's a bunch of topics and uh, comedy just came up <laughs> i don't know what well, I, I just think comedy is great i've actually been thinking about it a lot recently um this is one of those topics though that i just i just think we have to caveat if our listeners are like into comedy even though i'm really into comedy and you're really into comedy they're still probably going to come out of this disappointed oh yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 you know it, it, i think we're not an expert at any topic so Every time people are listening, like, oh, that's all. But wrong. I used to think I was. I used to think I was an expert at comedy, and in fact, I even booked comedy shows at a local club uh, for a period of my life. And so, I've been. A, I was once an expert, <laughs> or I thought I was. I was trying to become one, and I also used to listen to comedy every day as training because I really wanted to be a stand-up comic. Um, and I thought art was just my stepping stone on the way. It was like art was just was your start. day job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I was on my way to a, a, a like an unconventional career as the carrot top of new media art. <laughs> uh, carrot top being the worst comedian, uh, most people would recognize as the worst comedian on the planet. But he uh, um, he became a bodybuilder. Yeah, I think that was just to stand out, to look crazier than he already, you know, appeared. And that's one of the funny things about me. And the surgery me. and the hair and the. Yeah. Well, I actually really empathize with it because. Uh, I have a persona online, you know, comic persona, and a lot of comedians have comic personas, and people have a hard time separating that persona from the reality of the person, and, and so they just get it in their head that comedians are crazy, right? And then that that is who they are. But make no mistake, every comedian uh, you've ever known has, is doing is performing on stage, uh, and they're usually performing a character, even if the character is themselves. Um, 
you know, I was just watching this. Uh, have you watched the Gary Shandling documentary? No, no, I, I have to. Been. Yeah. There's a new documentary on HBO. I have not watched. I was just watching the trailer. Getting I just signed up for it. HBO because I like Silicon Valley, and I was always pirating it. And at some point, like, ah, uh, it's a lot of it, it's <laughs> right. effort to pirate, and it's risky, and it's also good to support people who make stuff. So okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, what up. is it in, in in America? It's like eight bucks. Right? No, it's fifteen a month. Mm, Which the the, the the problem is? I only watch Silicon Valley. Okay, all the rest of HBO. I, I, yeah, so I'm not a TV watcher that much, so... Hmm. Well, HBO is, has long been known for its stand-up comedy specials. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then Netflix came along, and it seems like they put out a stand-up comedy special every day. Well, every week, I think that was the goal. <clears throat> is that their goal? I find it overwhelming. Well, like, it, it, yeah, really it's, it's funny, because if I, if I go back a few steps, like, I grew up... This always comes up, but I grew up outside of the U.S., and then mm-hmm. looking at, at stand-up, it was kind of hard to get to. It was hard to find before YouTube. So I didn't know that much about it. Like, ra- That's really interesting. Rarely was it on TV, because mm-hmm. there's a whole thing in the Netherlands which is not called stand-up, but it's called uh, cabaret or whatever. Specials. <laughs> yeah, like cabaret or, or something. Like, um, something, and it, it involves singing, and it's a bit awkward, and, <laughs> and, it, and sometimes it's funny, but uh, it's just different. Let's just say it's different. And it's like, and this whole this whole tradition of like, there's a microphone and you stand there for an hour, and that's it. And, yeah. and that's the, that's the algorithm, and that's uh, and then any variation, uh, any personality you could put it. We we knew Eddie Murphy's stand-up special. That was that one you could get at the video store, like his raw special. Yeah, yeah. There, there were two specials, and he was he was a movie star, so he was in the video store. But other than that, there was not. I didn't know who Bill Hicks was or uh, whatever. So it's only recent. First, mm-hmm. there was a lot of clips on YouTube, and you're like, oh, this is cool, and then. Netflix and I used to torrent all kinds of comedy specials and I would search the HBO comedy special because they had this whole infrastructure. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, that's really interesting that there was that there is no that really stand up comedy as we know it in North America is a North American cultural kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, I was just thinking just like am- some... American football and the rest of the world has uh, football. Yeah. And there but there are some comedians that were from America that made it in, uh, well, in Europe. Well, I think. W- well, I think what I never understood is that all the people start with stand-up comedy, all the movie stars. So um, what's what's the, the super famous guy from The Mask and Ace Ventura? What's his name? Jim Carrey. Yeah. Like, I didn't know he was a stand-up comedian. That's the way to start. And then he was in, in Living Color and etc. cetera. But um, it, it, it's just funny that, to me, the... Stand-up comedy is like the laboratory where you have uh, fundamental research. There's mm-hmm. there's no um, structure of uh, a writing team, or maybe there is by now, but it, anything else after that, the steps up, whether you think that's up or down, but the steps up are all a little bit uh, meddled or diluted, or uh, there's more interest, but it's a very pure form. So, mm-hmm. I mean, for example, you have a... Sh- Two shows that were big in in the, the Netherlands, uh, you had Friends, and that's obviously okay. they're not stand-up comedians, and then there was Seinfeld. Yeah. So, uh, And with Seinfeld, you would see these bits of him performing at a nightclub. Mm-hmm. So you'd kinda, you, you would get these hints, but it wasn't like, oh, every first Saturday of the month, there's an HBO special, and it's an hour, and... That's interesting that you had two like the whitest shows in the Netherlands. You didn't, so you didn't have like Martin or In Living Color or. I think any. In Living Color was on for a little while. It wasn't very successful. And it, sitcoms are very popular, mm-hmm. and then stuff like uh, soap operas were popular and things like that. But I, I don't, I don't think people connected the dots that stand-up comedy was the stepping stone to a sort of Eddie Murphy type of career. Or, Maybe I'm just retarded, but I, right, I don't think I most it. people realize that the, that there's that whole trajectory that Mike Myers probably did stand up or, you know. But it was just how you first got noticed. That said, I was thinking like the quintessential American that comedian that did well in Europe is, um, was Jerry Lewis. <laughs> I don't know if you remember. Uh, Steve, very physical uh, also, Steve Martin, I think nobody knows his stand up, uh, mm-hmm. me growing up. You just knew the movies. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So you weren't. You're, you're a big I, hero, I, yeah. Well, maybe that's because of the types of jokes that they would tell, and this is like yeah, something yeah. I, I would, thought we'd get to later in the podcast. But it's been really this is what's well, been. Well, that's on my maybe mind what recently. I've been. What I mean is that in in um, 
in TV shows and stand-up, you can be closer to American culture, but movies have to work globally, so you have to have this universal sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And I, I like a bunch of um, like what was funny, like when you mentioned Eddie Murphy, that raw concert. I used to, I loved that. Yeah, it was amazing. Concert. Yeah. But if you go back and listen to it, like today, there's some stuff in there. Like you just like it just does not. It's no longer appropriate, um, and well, therefore it doesn't you, make you laugh. It, for me, well, for it, me, it would be double as funny. Like, no, yeah. I don't know. I think even you, you'd be uncomfortable at certain. No, 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 no. It's just you. I think. I think. Uh, it, I think most people, and that's a big part of comedy. Where I think, was Joan Rivers, and she she starts the show and saying, "Whoever's offended, lighten the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Just don't be so serious. This is comedy." But I think, com- so that's where I think there's an interesting topic or point to be had, which is that comedy often breaks through social bo- norms and social boundaries to, ha- to help us understand why we believe in the normative reality that we live in. Well, also, it but- seems that the world is so absurd that you need comedy to uh, deal with it. Yeah, but coming from Joan Rivers, that's, in- that's interesting. Probably coming from Eddie Murphy, too. The question is, like... There's a huge spectrum uh, of people who have have flirted with the boundaries of um, social norms, and yeah, comedy yeah, yeah. is most often, you know, where that happens. Like um, Anthony Jeselnik and people like that. Yeah, I mean, even recently, um, Dave Chappelle got into trouble <clears throat> for his comedy. That you know, and he even. But when you say like, d- jokes he was get saying. into trouble, it means there were some people on Twitter who. No, I think like his audience didn't find a few, uh, you know, a bunch of his jokes funny. Yeah, like, his but core it, it, audience. Maybe this is an interesting point because mm-hmm. it, there's there's not really metrics when we say he got into trouble. So the, Harvey Weinstein, okay, yeah, he's in trouble. The, and yeah, Bill yeah. Cosby, yeah, he's in trouble. But when you say thirty percent of a comedian's fans didn't like a certain joke, does that mean his career, his or her career, is over? No, but I think it, uh, every comedian me- does measure their success by their num- the number of laughs they get and the number. Yeah, of but you might them. gain new laughs by breaking a boundary. So yeah, it, it, I, but I know, th- but this I, this so I'm I'm I understand it's good that people can voice their opinion, but you should also sometimes the the loudest people might not be what the majority. It might be like if five percent of people is really vocal about being unhappy, that doesn't mean the person's audience is unhappy. Well, that's that's where it becomes interesting for me, and I don't I don't know if I if we want to take it. I don't definitely want to take over the whole podcast at this point. But it's like when you're, and we've talked about it previously. When you're in a marginal, if you're in a position of power and you make some fun of someone in a marginal, you had position, to take it there. You're essentially, yeah. Well, you're essentially taking <laughs> the jokes on them, right? It's like it's a bit of bu- it's like a bully kind of thing. However, the comedians that I love actually do the opposite, right? They take a marginal position. And they make it powerful, right? Like, and one of the ways that they usually do that is by through self-deprecation. Like I mentioned, Gary Shandling earlier. Um, yeah, and there's know, the whole genre of, of cringe comedy that you're just trying to turn it up <laughs> a notch every time. And yeah, yeah, and of course, like Andy Kaufman being probably the most famous for that. And when I was talking earlier about like you know every comedian is in character, you know when I would meet people, they would think I was just crazy, um, and that I would you know. A total idiot, right? Because of my character online. Um, but what I was trying to do is is de- de- defeat my own uh, identity, right? Like destroy the white male ego. And a lot of comedians have tried to do. But that. do you do you think that that's your analysis later on? And first you just start like, oh, that would be funny. But you you don't start out with a a big uh, sort of propaganda plan of like, okay, let's break down the white man's pride and what's the best. No, method? exactly. So, the reason that I leaned in that direction is because I could tell that my audience was on edge when I was in front of them. And every, I think every good comedian can tell when there's social tension. That's why I think it's hard to avoid the political issue, because then they can use that social tension and break through it. Yeah. And everyone gasps a sigh of relief, I, and the gasp is, is, is it, laughter. It, it's yeah. funny. So if, if you think about um, minorities standing up and identity politics and uh, uh, people being sure that they get their equal opportunity and mm-hmm. all these things there's there's different approaches but you could be very vocal about like uh, hey there's a percentage of people that's underrepresented in this profession or something like that or mm-hmm. you could be well I'm underrepresented but I'm gonna uh, do great comedy 
Well, you yeah, know, I, I don't disagree. I accept that comedians have tremendous influence over uh, yeah, yeah. culture, and I and I don't, yeah. I think it, to me, it's true. very revealing. Like often, you're like, oh yeah, of course that's crazy, and we should think about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, for me, growing up, I was so so into um, this thing called Second City Television, uh, SCTV. It came out of Toronto, and. I would watch it as like I was like six or seven or eight years old, and and it, for, I probably got like two percent of the jokes, but um, it has such an influence on my attitude towards everything, like because I was a class clown, um, and it had like an amazing cast, like John Candy, Andrea Martin, Eugene Levy, Rick Moranis, Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, it was sketch comedy. Uh, Martin Short, like all of these Canadian greats that that um, well that some of us know that went on to be kind of Hollywood famous. They were all on one show together when I was growing up. Um, from not, like It was on from 1976 to 1979, but then they ran it in like uh, repeats, or I think it was also on in the 80s. Anyway, I was just very young. Yeah. Um, and still remember thinking, wow, this is funny. But I know I didn't understand all the jokes, right? Because like, I've gone back and watched stuff, and I was like, whoa, this is really perverted in sections. Yeah, right? there was... Like, also, when I say there was no stand-up comedy in the Netherlands, there were many other forms, so... Mm. Um, there were really naughty cartoons for kids that, as a child, you had no idea. Like the the, the heroes of the cartoon would have sort of sexual titles, but you had no idea what that meant. So the, the, mm -hmm. the, maybe if you look back 15 years later, like, oh, that was crazy. So well, I kind of bring that up because, like, <clears throat> it's just in this realm of like, okay, what is taboo? You know, if you're if you're not aware of the social taboo, sometimes, <laughs> like. As a child, there's how was I? La I often think to myself, what was I laughing at? Was I laughing at? Sometimes you just laugh at, at facial expressions or body language. They, like mm -hmm. if if you hang out with a three year old child and you uh, just dance around the room, they might be cracking up. Right, right, right. But then my, I went on to become a teenager, and my favorite show was Seinfeld. Right, like, um, and actually before that, In Living Color was one of my favorite shows. How racist there was this character. Of you. Homie the Clown on, on I don't know if you remember, uh, In Living Color, but I loved Homie the Clown because he had a sock that he'd hit people with. I just like the <laughs> physical, it was physical comedy, yeah. I think, that I appreciated at that age. Um, but then uh, on Seinfeld, I was not like a middle-aged man, like trying to make it as a comedian in New York. No, like, but he's, he wasn't middle-aged. He's like 25 or 30. Right, right, so right. he was in dating age. So that was the, the upcoming stage for you. So that must be, must have been uh, like, oh, I'm going to get out of the house and like be my own person and uh, hang out right. with friends in my own apartment. I would religiously watch that show and uh, The Simpsons because they were on together in, in North America. Yeah. It was Thursday nights. Thursday yeah, nights, yeah. Like, I, yeah. I remember Seinfeld being on, but it wasn't that popular. And I just, it was on kind of late. And mm -hmm. I would watch it, and some people in my class would watch it, but nobody talked about it. And then, then there was like a coming out. It's like, have you seen that show with a guy who just talks in a nightclub and it's kind of fun? Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. Like, it, it was kind of far from our culture. But you're getting at a really interesting point, too, which is like from that early age, the way you internalized comedy was eventually sharing it with friends, but trying to redo the joke for your friends. Um, we've all been there when someone does a Eddie bad Murphy, job of it. Eddie Murphy has a whole thing, I think in Raw or another one of his specials, where he... he, he the fuck he, you, man thing? No, yeah, he, 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 does an <laughs> he does an imitation of one of his fans going to the office the next day and like doing a really bad job of re <laughs> redoing his show. And then he says, Mr. Fuck You Man, and then he says, fuck you, motherfucker, yeah. and then people are like, huh? <laughs> That's in Raw, yeah. That's that's, yeah. A, great, that's a great part of that, that special. But, um, yeah, but there are very few other art forms. Like, I don't go see the opera and then come home, to, go to the office, and then try and repeat the opera. Or I don't go to an art show and then, like, start painting dots at home. Well, um, so, you, you, it's also popular art. It's different. So you, you could uh, go to a movie and talk about a chase scene or the new Star Wars. So th that would definitely be... But I don't try and practice the craft. You know, there's something about comedy that seems like it's available to everyone. It's very democratic. That's all yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Well, it's in it's low it's barrier to entry in terms of budget. Mm -hmm. I think I, I think that's a that core thing for me. With what I find inspiring in in any culture is like if I listen to something and it was made cheaply, that's really empowering. 
Mm, interesting. Well, I was going to also like just take it back historically. Like Shakespeare was in the genre of comedy, right? And so theater has its beginning in comedy uh, very much. Like there are com- the comedies have been written, you know, even further back than that, right? So this idea of comedy being the most available form of storytelling and entertainment, I find quite interesting. For, yeah, what, a, I, what social, I also find interesting is, is comedy as a really basic human expression mm-hmm. of intelligence and something that AI is going to have a hard time with. But maybe AI oh, will figure it out. But th- this, this idea that uh, it, it's really hard to describe, oh, what's comedy? It's like, awkward and out of place or out of scale and you, you can make a scientific analysis but I think it's really hard to write an algorithm that makes jokes well I didn't expect you to go there but that's true we are a podcast about uh, culture and technology yeah. and yeah on the technology side um, like my Alexa can tell a really bad joke Uh-oh. yeah she and it gets old pretty that. fast yeah exactly and you know I guess um, where computers can win is raw power so they can just scan the whole web and if people have marked it as funny and then they'll just have the biggest database because that's that's often like where computers oh humans are smarter but yeah but computer like computers can do so many chess calculations doesn't mean that each calculation is better but just the raw the the vast amount of calculations that's available that's interesting though because i was watching this uh, guy's comedy I won't say why yesterday I was just reviewing it for an event <clears throat> and we chose not to work with this person but they had like they they claimed to be know the most jokes of anyone on the planet and I was watching their stand-up act and they just went through like it was like a knock-knock joke book you know they, they went through a bunch of these jokes and I really had a hard time enjoying yeah, it yeah it, when fact, it's not personal yeah yeah yeah, it was just like, well, that's, there was that's, no connection. That's maybe, I keep thinking about, so I feel really guilty about not liking political art. Because mm. I do think, I don't feel guilty, but I do think there are issues that have to be addressed. And part of it, to me, is that the issues are so general and so large that I miss the personal point of view, which I'm much more interested in. And that's similar to someone... To me, political art is similar to a joke book. Like to, to, or it could be yeah. if it's didactic, right? Like, yeah. Or if it's not personal, yeah. yeah. But I, when I was a kid, I used to you know, subscribe to these various book things at school. And like the books I always chose, I don't know why they allowed me to choose this, would, were like just books of jokes, right? So I had like, I had like 100 knock-knock joke books. And I never really ever read them out to anyone else. I just read them to myself and chuckled. Uh, but they weren't—they they weren't very ever very good comedy or ever to be reused. It's because it was like more like what an algorithm. Would yeah, but maybe it's also good to know what's not funny. So if you want to learn about what's funny, you also should know what's not funny. Yeah, I think I was just fascinated with that uh, at an early age. But um, but yeah, your question regarding uh, technology and AI—what they would have to figure out. AI would have to have an identity, which is kind of an interesting concept in itself. Yeah. That or, was potentially But what flawed. if it didn't have an identity, but it just looked at, like, perfect market research? Well, wouldn't it... Ha- Here's my point from earlier, too, and, and because it's very similar to, like, the white male ego I was talking about earlier. Like, wouldn't the AI have to be aware of what the social tension it was creating? Like, could, wouldn't it have to laugh about killing all of humanity? Well, wouldn't that was... To, like, that was a, there's an episode of South Park... Do you know which one I'm talking about? No, 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 no. So there's an episode where uh, there's Timmy, the the handicapped kid that uh, always does comedy. I don't think that's right. Uh, but keep going. Wait, it's not Timmy. <laughs> it's Jimmy. Oh, it, it, Timmy is the the one who's yeah. Anyway, yeah. there was a comedian and he does the comedy awards, and then it says, okay, funniest uh, school teacher this award, uh, funniest uh, cafeteria member this award, least funny people of the world goes to the Germans. So he gives a comedy award to the Germans for being the least funny people in the world. Mm-hmm. And they're very offended. They say, this is not true. We are sending our best comedian now. And he's like, here comes my joke. You must <laughs> like my joke. And then the joke's not funny. So they're frustrated. But Germans are engineers. So what they do is they engineer a really funny robot called Funnybot. And the robot, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm remembering exactly, but he ends up being so funny people laugh of die of laughter it is it's so okay. well engineered that at some point he he just he, he just figured it out okay does the robot make fun of itself no it's been a while i should watch it again but yeah i think i mean the reason i bring that up is i think like uh, uh, it's a big component the personal 
and the self-deprecating. I'm not. I, I don't. I don't think that. It, so th- this is my point. When you mm-hmm. it, and it's the same with art. It's like you try to find a definition, and immediately there's tons of examples where that's not true. True. So so true, true, true. Like, one of my favorite comedians who's not even talking about identity issues so much, Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. Um, like one of his jokes is like, rice is a great food if you're hungry and you want two thousand of something. And that's not, that's not, uh, he's not self-deprecating, he's not attacking anyone, and it's... But that's quite deadpan, that would, like, there are different categories I know, yeah, 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 but so this idea that it has to be tied to a person, his jokes are an mm-hmm. example where his deliverance and his rhythm and his voice and everything about mm-hmm. him, and also the fact that he was a heroin addict, so it's right. kind of like a stoner talking, it all makes sense together, but the jokes are, well, that, he's definitely not breaking it, down the male ego. Is that why we don't have like a Spotify for comedy or something? Like, there's no there algorithm. Is, his albums, but his albums are on Spotify. No, but what I mean is, like, on, if I listen to a lot of comedy on Spotify, would Spotify be able to select comedy other? I think so. It, like? it would. It would know which which listeners are listening to other albums, and then uh, could make. I think that's basically how it works. Like, uh, if mm-hmm. if if ten people who listen to Mitch Hedberg also listen to Seinfeld, then it can make a connection. I was just thinking because like there has been very little effort to algorithmically organize like uh, Pandora's human genome, but for comedy, there's like Funny or Die as a website, right? Um, which kind mm-hmm. of like shook things up a long, yeah, time, like, it, quite a long time ago. It, now, d- it did turn out in the streaming area that comedy is a great format, of, uh, cheap to produce, and uh, lots of people like it. So and short form. There's, like, there's, five there's. Uh, I think on satellite radio you have comedy channels. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and I think also like um, the not the the Daily Show with John Stewart when that was on the air was one of the most watched shows hmm. uh, Comedy Central had on. Yeah, which was a, which was a funny day. thing that the only way the, the news is getting so depressing, so the only way to bring it is with comedy. Yeah, that so that was a very interesting uh, time in American cultural history because more uh, more people um, under the age of thirty five got their news from <laughs> from a comedy, a comedy show. show than any other. <laughs> Uh, form of uh, of news consumption. Yeah, but uh, the, 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 the mainstream news, all the news anchors are so um, corporate or uh, crafted that mm-hmm. the, the comedy seems more genuine than serious news. In a way, that was like the beginning of the end, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even now, uh, the Colbert Report, which became, or Stephen Colbert went on to do the, you know, he's doing Tonight Show. Um, the Late Show. He was losing to uh, the Late Night. Yeah, what's it? It's the Tonight Show. Isn't it's, it? I think it's the Late Show. The Late Show. Whatever. He was going up against Jimmy Fallon, and Jimmy Fallon was winning with his like college humor, lighthearted. And then, and then Trump gets into office, and suddenly uh, Colbert's uh, political satire. Um, people wanted the news again, right? But they wanted it in a way where you know it's funny because when I go to bed, I'm not allowed to talk about Trump in bed. <laughs> it's uh, not an aphrodisiac. But I think jokes about Trump are okay before. <laughs> it's how we deal with like a miserable situation. Do you talk about Trump more than you talk about Trudeau? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Because <laughs> every, uh, anyway. every liberal American is like, oh, we love Trudeau. Why can't we have him? No, there's a lot of problems with Trudeau. I'm sure, I mean, but it's not on the scale of... Maybe Trudeau's uh, would a you tra- Would you trade... Into- uh, no, definitely yeah, not. Yeah, so that's what I mean. I've, I've had a, I, we had a mayor that was like that, cracks my uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, When you have politicians, when the politician is the joke, Rob Ford. maybe this is worth <laughs> talking about. Yeah, we had Rob Ford. When there's comedy uh, and politics and that's reality television, <laughs> like, uh, it, I can tell you from personal experience living in a city that had that and people were putting posting YouTube videos of themselves drunk with the mayor. It's very uncomfortable. You're like, this is funny. And you're. I remember I actually put money into a... Indiegogo campaign to like get his crack smoking video released. <laughs> like, what am I doing? Why am I participating in this? It really is yeah. the sort of downfall of all civilization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, yeah, where did I One thing I want to yeah, talk about that's it. always been interesting to me is that uh, the, the main difference of art and other culture is that it's on a very long timeline. Especially if you make objects, so less with performance. But right. if you make paintings, the painting might be in a, in a gallery on view for a month. It might be in a collector's home for ten years, or it might be in a museum for four hundred years. Mm-hmm. And 
seeing a joke for 400 years is very different than seeing a landscape painting for 400 years. Mm, mm. And so often I think art is great when it's not trying to say too much. I, I think as a rule that that's what I prefer. Okay. And so comedy often there's a punchline or there's a, something to get, like a, a beginning and an ending. Oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. And that's a really tricky area of... Like, for me, the ultimate I get it is the M. Night uh, Shyamalan movies. And if mm-hmm. if you already know the trick and you watch the movie, it's it's 100% uninteresting. Mm-hmm. And so jokes can be great and, like, you can watch the special and maybe watch the special again three months later and maybe once again five years later. But mm-hmm. very often comedy films don't age that well. They're not as funny anymore ten years later. Well, I thought you were going to like point out, are there any artists who have made comedic works? Because Yeah, so there's a subtle... It, of course, there's a comedy in painting a soup can. When, when uh, like, a whole generation... Very subtle comedy. Yeah, yeah. but when a whole... When a whole <laughs> gen, you have to see it in the context of the, the time. So the, there was a whole generation of yeah. motorcycle riding, drug-taking, drinking, abstract expressionists who were laying their soul bare. And they were, no, they were mm-hmm. extremely serious. They're like... Uh, this is the depths of my soul and the pain of humanity and uh, etc. And then somebody's like, well, I feel like a soup can. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's comedic. But it's, there's no punchline. Andy Warhol eating a hamburger is quite a funny clip that we've shared yeah, before as well. But you could also, so there's, a, uh, and I think Warhol is a great example, but uh, any pop artist, there was a comedic... Uh, element to it like making a very big soft hamburger sculpture is is similarly funny but close close older yeah yeah so i think and the introduction of irony which maybe started with dada and there's an element of comedy there too Mm -hmm. um so it's it's interesting to me the type of joke that works for five years and the type of jokes that, that, that might work for 400 years Exactly, but that, this is the thing. Like, I used to joke that the, on, the only uh, place I could make it as a stand-up comedian was in the art world because it was so boring. And, you know, like, it's a very easy audience to make laugh because the pretension or the social tension in the room is so high. There's, there's two responses you could get from an audience. It's either laughter or applause. Like, I think if you're, if you're giving an audience a really sad story and it's really touching them, there's no... It's, people are not going to cry out loud. There's no <laughs> expression like cry out loud. So I think performance really gears itself to laughter. I don't know. I mean, your whole performance thing is about getting laughs, so mm-hmm. is it? Uh, but I mean, in performance art, traditionally, it hasn't had that much laughter. I think no, it only... no, it was the opposite of, yeah. popular, <laughs> of popular entertainment. Yeah, except outside of, you know, I think if you follow the Fluxus thread, maybe, and then into video art is when it Yeah, happened. yeah, but, but before we jump to history, it, it, yeah. I just wanted to talk about my personal experience where sure. I've done a few talks, and I was like, okay, I usually switch to jokes, it's just easy, and, and jokes in a non-funny context are really easy, as What's you like know. break the ice. Yeah, because you just, you just want to know if the audience is interested. So then you switch to jokes, and I remember one time doing a talk, it's like, you know what, I'm going to just show the core of the how I work, uh, what applications I use, uh, what scripting languages, and what visual solutions, how hard they were to find. And I was doing it. And then you do, you get zero response, of course. So people mm-hmm. just looking. Mm-hmm. And I just started turning redder and redder. I was like, are they really bored? I don't know. And then I just quick. Maybe it's just my personality, but I don't know if, if most artists and teachers like use jokes as a way to relieve tension and kept it keep the uh, attention. Well, what you're making is a really good point, which I do use because I give serious talks and then I but I still intersect with comedy throughout because I want to make sure that you're like in a minute, you're like so as we look at climate change and uh, financial disaster and then you go poop. Yeah, yeah, then I go like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, do you hear that? No, but mm-hmm. what you want what you're looking for typically is like are these people engaged like you said? Are they paying attention because Well, what's the, the other joke, way of finding out then you can ask a question. Yeah, but but really, let's let's awkward. say let's say you're talking to a thousand people <laughs> at a conference. How do yeah. you know if people? You know afterwards if there's a round of questions, then you know okay they were listening and there was. 
But okay, even- well, I, yeah, I can definitely tell you that if you can tell a joke for a thousand people, and, and I've had the pleasure of getting to do that, not everyone gets a chance to do that, and everyone laughs, it is a, a fantastic feeling. And you really do then have the audience on, you yeah, know, yeah, waiting yeah. With, on but every it, word. But again, th- that seems a whole lot easier at a place where you're not supposed to be funny than at a, at a comedy like let's say you were the opener for Seinfeld that so would be I, a hard place to make jokes I had to I did it at a German business conference <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I will say it was like it was quite funny there were times where I felt on edge because I was told I speak very quickly too and, I, and my character oh that's the thing quickly. yeah that's the thing when we were talking about North American humor and I think um Stand-up is, is unfiltered and, and un... Uh, what do you call it when you add water to something? It's undiluted. Yeah. So it, it's a lot of things you grew up with that are in the margin, in the fringes, and talking quite fast. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's very hard for native speakers to know what how they come across. Mm-hmm. Like, it, 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 I'm... I'm uh, I'm, no, I'm, but you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm, like, I'm, going, I, I'm, I'm what do you call it, veering off, but... It, Artspeak is the, is the perfect example where North Americans are at an advantage because they grew up with the language, and then people from other countries try to write in the same way, and it's hard, and it gets you get these weird sentences that are all the words are correct, but it, it's not really a sentence, and yeah, yeah. So that's what I mean with comedy that You're stand-up right. comedy is maybe too local. For, yeah, for, no, that, for a global audience. I mean, I got that audience to laugh, but I got my reviews back because at some of these conferences, they send you reviews. And it was like, there were a bunch of people in the nine and 10, like, you know, great talk. And then there were like a like a, a whole bunch of twos. I'll tell you. Like, yeah, but that's also, was, it, it proves the point of South Park of the country without humor. Like, hey, <laughs> you said some things that were logically untrue and the audience <laughs> made this sound that we did not understand. I don't know. I mean, I just have not, I found that Germans can have a great sense of humor. It's that... Uh, uh, in particular, are you ever are you ever gonna offend anyone? Uh, well, I spent a lot of time in Germany, as have you. You lived there. <laughs> yeah, but I I, I definitely it, it, you know it's not a hundred percent correct, but it, Germans are not the funniest people. Like mm. in the UK, I, I find people. <laughs> well, yeah, th- yeah, sure, sure. Like the UK is English, though, and they go, I would say the English are use humor and offense to uh, as a weapon. Let let's um. Let's uh, talk about an, let's something else offensive, an advertisement. We have an advertisement yeah. here as a little break. Um, so at the halfway mark, we should really do this. So we have a, an ad here uh, from our good friend Jay at SF MoMA. Um, so, uh, Raf, have you heard of Send Me SF MoMA? No, what's that? Uh, it's a project by SF MoMA where anyone in the U.S. can text 57251 with the words send me followed by a keyword, a color, or even an emoji, and you'll receive a related artwork image and caption via text message. Sounds lame. Who would use this? <laughs> well, ZenmeSF MoMA responded to over 4.5 million text messages that year. Even art world luminaries such as Carson Daly and Neil Patrick Harris gave it a thumbs up. NPH? Wow, NPH? I'm sold. Indeed. And it was just nominated for two Webby Awards. So if you enjoy using it, you should head on over to vote.webbyawards.com and vote for Send Me SF MoMA in the categories of Best Mobile Site or App for a Cultural Institution and Best Messaging Bought in an Ad Campaign. <laughs> I'm totally going to vote for Send Me SF MoMA. Hurry up. Voting ends April 19th. That was sort of a meta ad. It was an ad for an ad because it's in the marketing category. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah go, on, uh, go on over there. Give uh, Jay a hand and the good folks at SF MoMA. A very funny institution. <laughs> Fighting the good fight. <laughs> I don't know if it's a comedic institution. No, no, no. I but, think uh, San, uh, yeah. San, the, the San Francisco is the butt of many jokes these days. For sure. That's, I, I once with a friend tried to make a book about funny art and it was kind of... Um, we asked different artists what what their favorite. I don't know why we gave up. It was a guy fun. like was it a guy sitting on a branch sawing off the branch or something? Like, no, know, I remember like, someone. We asked someone, um, and this guy is kind of funny also. Bill Drummond, and he he was part of the KLF. Mm-hmm. I met him at a conference. Uh, the KLF was the the music group, and they made a lot of money, and then they built they burnt a million pounds uh, banknotes as a what? performance. No, really? oh, you don't know about that. No, I didn't know. Oh. That doesn't sound very funny. 
Sounds like no. we're not going to use that much. And we asked him, what's the funniest artwork that you know? And he said he saw some exhibition where someone hung a plastic bag that was tied up at, at, on a door. And inside the plastic bag, you would hear the sound of a cat trying to escape. Hmm, Is that, that funny? Like, uh, plastic bags and... I mean, I feel bad for the cat, which is not real. I, I don't know where the joke it's is. It's so easy to make you feel bad. <laughs> well, I, maybe it's because I've locked my cat in the bathroom during the recording of this podcast. Mm. But I think, like, yeah. uh, I brought up last episode, Paul McCarthy has ha- a history of telling jokes as a com- as an artist. Richard Prince uh, appropriated jokes. Yeah. I mentioned Martha Rosler, video artist, and, and I told, you told me not to get into video art, but a lot of early video no, artists... No, no, no. I, I think because we were talking about... No, no, it's just a lot of video artists got into comedy because they were competing against television entertainment and also satirizing television And kind of self-deprecating, like, smearing lipstick on your face or things like that. Yeah, exactly. And there there was, like, it was no holds barred. Uh, I think television, though, carries with it this stigma that it needs to be entertaining. And when you think entertaining... And immediate. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wants laughs, and you can't, you know, you can't exactly do a video art that's like a thriller. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I think in art you can afford yourself to have a joke that people might not get until two hundred years later. Yeah, I might. I might argue in in art the only form of entertainment. This is a hard argument to make, and I'm not really making it. But it's a very shallow argument. Is that the easiest way to to generate entertainment value is to make people laugh? Um, making them cry is very yeah. hard. Um, well, I, I think it, it, what you're trying to do is, is set a hierarchy and say which one is easiest. So I don't know if like the Fox News approach of making people scared of something that they shouldn't be scared of, that's a form of entertainment. Yeah, it's not and an then, emotion you want to create as an artist. But it's pretty, pretty easy. And be mm-hmm. like, oh, they're coming for you. Mm-hmm. So Or conspiracy theories are a form of entertainment. So I don't know if comedy is... Yeah. I don't know if it's the easiest. It, like... I'm sure with the algorithms and the budgets of uh, all the streaming services and YouTube now, they've figured out, like, okay, that's the that's <laughs> right. financially the easiest way to captivate people. Well, the kind of the point I wanted to make, though, is that usually artists use humor in the form of a visual pun. So, so like, you know, McCarthy might have done, like, a giant a scul- a public sculpture that's a butt plug. The joke being, potentially, though I don't know much about this work, but the way I've read it, that this is the most inappropriate public sculpture uh, that we could make uh, like a, a three-story butt plug in the middle of town square or something like well, that. Well, it's it's not only that; it's also that uh, art is permanent. So if if it was there for a week, it wouldn't be so controversial. But the fact that it might be there for ten years and it's, so uh, again, that's like the there's no punchline to that joke, and that's why it works continuously. Yeah, I, my public art joke that I wanted to, I've always wanted to make. If anyone wants to commission me, hey, I'm ready for it would just be the words, I'm sorry, instead of like, you know how there's love or whatever, it would just be like, I'm sorry, and it would be huge. It would just take up a huge amount of space. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have that website, uh, I'm very, very sorry.com. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The idea of taking up public space with an apology to me is really hilarious. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. It might even be like, you could put it in an elevator and there's like no room already in the elevator. <laughs> it's just like a big, <laughs> I'm sorry. But uh, it's yeah. just to ec- echo my feeling as a human being. <laughs> yeah, I think that sums you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but generally i think i think our of- podcast you can summarize <laughs> it, 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 jeremy is, says i'm sorry and i say no i'm not uh yeah that's right but mm-hmm. I, I was gonna say like you know, on the internet um visual uh pun humor and hu- and humor about the culture on the internet um we talked about video art but i think it's even more prevalent like comedy yeah like the, the internet internet is probably 32 percent humor and maybe 60% porn and the rest is sensationalism, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wondered whether, like, I've been thinking about it recently, whether the, you know, if you if you look at the history of art and culture, whether actually that was just a signal of what was to come for everyone. And that if you were to look at culture today, like, you know, your family, your life versus one from 100 years ago, I, here's a question, and I don't know if it's true or not, whether comedy or the profession of comedy is now something that everyone feels like they have to perform. I, I always think that, that and I, I would love to time travel to see what it's like, but I feel like basic human emotions are, are always the same. Mm-hmm. And then technology changes or society changes, but the, the feeling of falling in love or the feeling of what's funny or the feeling right. of what's scary is the same, regardless of how much actual danger there is. Well, I think my point is more like, 
the professionalization of the the way we produce media has sort of professionalized our expression. Uh, and we talked about this previously on the podcast. You mean that everybody's a, a persona now? Yeah, like yeah, exactly. So the way you act in the world, the way you perform in the world, is increasingly according to the norms of profe- professionals in the media. Like because you're using. But maybe the same before media. it was more people aligned Informal. themselves around religion. Yeah, or yeah, or maybe around the fire or whatever, uh, or around a beer uh, or at the bar, right? Like, but now on Instagram, like you're going for lulls, right? Like you're potentially like using uh, emoji in a way to trigger laughter on the other side. Like you're, yeah, you, because you're, you're going for lulls or for for envy. Well, the point I'm trying to make is your point about the audience. Like, how do you know that they're listening? Well, one of the ways you do it online, right? In the yeah, well, know, each platform has its own thing, right? Like, it, what yeah, works yeah, well right. on Instagram is is like uh, showing how fabulous your life is, and Twitter is about complaining, and uh, maybe Facebook is about sharing sensational news, and YouTube is about sh- like TED talks are big on YouTube, but that doesn't mean uh, yeah. But I guess YouTube is a lot of different things i don't, I don't think thing, you can characterize it as easy on all, on all of those forms the the idea of a meme or cultural gene which is you know uh humorous has been like a, a kind of the status quo for a little for quite a while among everyone right like so to share jokes is as simple as copying and pasting or to create a new joke um is as simple as finding a previous you know joke and then changing the words for the current cultural moment i'm just talking about memes basically but we're all involved yeah. in the so, generation yeah so 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 maybe that's definitely something you can uh, figure out empirically that memes travel better when they're funny that's right that's what like, I'm, that's if, the point if I'm you to make. if you uh, want to get a point across either saying trump sucks or trump is great if you attach a joke that, that both funny it, jokes <laughs> yeah, and so it, it it's just like a scientific equation. Attached joke and audience reach goes up a percentage point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, I'm just curious because I, I'm you know from a cultural standpoint, it seems like we're in a particular moment where humor or being you know kind of like generating humor and generating jokes is a part of how we yeah. communicate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how um, the political discourse. And how political discourses, yeah, is is moderated and mediated. And as it's well. so funny. It's so funny that the artist panel talk is the one area of society where humor is absolutely absent. Like Have you? Oh, one thousand panel talks. I've done panel talks in character, and it's fun. It's really hilarious. I guess you're the exception. I'm talking about the. Yeah. Just think of of a panel talk you went to, and it can be so cringy. And then someone in the audience asks a question that is. A, a 25 page statement because they are bummed that they're not in the panel yeah and they always say oh but in a Wittgensteinian sense <laughs> that's kind of a <laughs> right, Kant right, statement right, right. and what Plato said and da 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 and I was like yes 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 mm. oh what a great insight thank you for not asking mm. a question yeah yes. Well, I'm about to do a panel talk at an Apple store uh, in Chicago. It's quite, I'm quite excited are you gonna about do, it. Are you going to do a demo of Windows Vista? <laughs> well, it's so funny because they have all these little strict rules. There's a lot of pretension. Like, I'm, I'm actually not allowed to mention another company or show another logo. Or uh, Are you getting paid well? And, uh, no, I'm not getting paid at all. I'm doing it out of the generosity of my heart and for oh, the brand association. That's crazy. <laughs> it's like, sorry, we don't have any budget. We're the richest company in the world. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I'm doing it that's, really. That's a pet peeve curiosity. of mine. When when, when, brand, when brands ask you to do something to an artist, and they say we don't have a budget, I'm like, well, if you don't have a budget, who, if Apple doesn't have money to pay artists, who does? Yeah, well, we'll see. Maybe they'll give me a gift of, of an of an iPhone or a new laptop or something. Apparently, I have l- here's unlimited a twenty five dollar iTunes uh, gift card. Yeah, I'm allowed to demonstrate any other products on well, <laughs> on the anything from the store I can demo, uh, but I'm not allowed to. I was going to do a live performance and and I was going to use a Microsoft Connect. Like you absolutely cannot use a Microsoft product. Well, that, I, I don't think that's strange. So I, I think it's perfectly normal. They're a commercial entity, yeah. and whatever you're doing, they want that. That's perfectly normal. But it, this is a message to all artists: if a brand asks you to do something, they should pay a lot. Otherwise, do something with a nonprofit. Do something educational. Yeah, yeah. Work directly with your audience, because if brands are not paying artists, who's going to pay? Well, this is a collaboration with the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago. But that, that said, yeah, I wouldn't do but it. it, it just to me, it, I mean, we're, we're getting away from the topic. But yeah. a, f- a friend of mine said, 
in the art world, you have to bring something to the table. So if you're mm. participating in the, the, the art ecosystem, you have to bring something to the table. So if you're a poet, you're bringing your soul and your insight and you don't have any money. So what you contribute are words and you're contributing your performance. And everyone suffers for that. It's really hard to make a living. Mm. Uh, and, and you're laying your soul. But it's, it's a very... So if someone comes in and they're not contributing any insights or criticality or words... Then they have to bring money. Mm-hmm. End of story. They have to bring money. So if a collector is like, hey, come over and I want to talk to you and I want all your knowledge and we're getting from your brain, but I'm not going to buy any art. I said, no, you have to bring something to the table. Good point. Well, that's very funny. Yeah. And, and this, <laughs> yeah, no, but this is really something that it's a wake up call and people should protest that like, if you're not bringing art, then bring something else to the table. Bring a community or bring money or bring, bring something. Or dead fish. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, but like, we have to get it back on topic. I mean, I do think that talking about brand in, a, in another episode or working. Uh, with, I, I, yeah, what, what's funny is uh, when we were talking about performance, Apple is known for their keynote performance, especially with Steve Jobs as, as a captivating speaker. Um, but now, but, they but now they're also one. known for really terrible jokes, which they call dad jokes. Yeah, dad jokes has become a thing, though, yeah, that I feel yeah. like is a cultural meme as well. Like, telling dad jokes is um, acceptable again in some way. Yeah. Uh, as long as you it, do it hashtag was, dad was jokes. Was Neil Hamburger, is that dad jokes? <laughs> I don't know. Do you remember him? Neil Hamburger? Yeah. No, no, no. What's he would that? dress up like a, like a sleazy croon singer, Frank Sinatra type, with over-greasy hair and weird glasses and... You just tell bad... The whole thing was to bad, tell bad, bad jokes. jokes. Yeah. Well, that, telling bad jokes, I think, is an interesting uh, corner of humor and, uh, and, dark and something corner. I really like. I, and when I was booking comedy, I'd often look for bad comedians. Um, very similar to the trend in art right now towards you know bad painting. De-skilled. Um, yeah, de-skilled. Um, there's something humorous about it in, it pokes, in its irreverence. That is to say, it pokes at the status quo it says like hey you think i have to be funny guess what i'll be funny by not being funny um and that, there's like, like a, kind of a punk aspect to it yeah, yeah. um and it reminds well, me of I, that, I feel like, like every barrier in the arts is always like giving up on something that people well, could do before the point i wanted to make was like we haven't talked about judd apatow at all in this episode and like that is someone so for our listeners who don't know that's probably like it's he's like the harvey weinstein of comedic film and and television why do you say that's a very loaded oh, I, name yeah yeah i shouldn't have it's said not harvey the best weinstein. example because he be like let's be careful pre- pre- here we the, don't want this to travel <laughs> on the internet and be like oh judd apatow is just as bad as bill cosby <laughs> The 1990s Harvey Weinstein. Uh, no, just call know. him like a, a good <laughs> comedy producer. He made Knocked Up and he, he worked with Seth Rogen and etc. Yeah, but what he, I think, so he, anyways, he's very, he's, he's done very well. I think, almost, you know, like one in two, uh, you know, comedy or television uh, production, television or movie productions are made by, are produced by Judd Apatow or written or in some way. Now, almost like 50% of what we've mentioned are favorite TV shows or whatever on this show probably were produced by Joe Apto. But one of the things that he does that's not very interesting in a way is that he usually reproduces social norms in his, in his in the in the stories he tells, right? So he quite often, in most of his movies and television shows, the, the couple lives, it's usually love-based, right? With Joe Apto, his themes usually around, revolve around love. And they usually end happily ever after in some way. Like, they, he always... It always starts out with like, whoa, we're crazy. We're outside the norm. And then he, through various comedic events, everyone ends up in a more normal life. And I've just remarked on this on this lately and thinking about it and and what I was just saying about bad comedy. Um, good comedy, it seems to reinforce stereotypes. I mean, and not, and not good comedy the way I think of it. I don't think that's good comedy personally. Like, But I find it's the comedy that is popular. Um, like if you look at the top shows on TV, like... Like Dave Chappelle plays with stereotypes. Well, I think a more, ex- or like more rotten example would be like... The, I think the number one rated show on television is that one about this, uh, those like nerds. What's it called? Um, uh, Third Rock from the Sun? No. No, no, Big no, Bang no. Theory. Yeah, Big Bang Theory. I always think it's Third Rock on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, Big Bang Theory. And if you watch that show, you know, there's been there's a really funny clip I'll post in the show notes where they remove the laughter from that show, like the laugh track. And it's really n- not funny. The only but, reason you uh, I, 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 The only thing I want to say is... Yeah. 
and I always say this to other artists or hipsters or whatever, your core being is to not like <laughs> mainstream culture. <laughs> so to you, for you to say, I don't like friends, or it's so predictable. But that's why that's, that's the, the point core, I wanted to make. The core of your being, yeah. But that's the point I wanted to make, which is that like you and I, we're talking about comedy, but the comedy we like probably is comedy on the fringes. And Judd Aptow is like definitely not on the fringes, but he dances around the fringes and he brings you yeah. back to the center. And why does he bring you back to the center? Because he makes a, a lot of money doing that. Because people in, at the end of the day want to leave the theater feeling safe. But it's, I, but comedy Seinfeld that makes you is feel this unsafe. weird anomaly, right? Where it's very nihilistic. Mm-hmm. Whenever it, the whole premise of, of Seinfeld is, whenever they help someone, they get in trouble. It's it, mm-hmm. it, they always end up best if they just choose for themselves completely, right, 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 and ignore well, people in need. Like they'll help a beggar and then end up on the street themselves. Or like I guess um, another example would be in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Larry David, his the stories unwind uncontrollably until you know. It, it, the comedy does not reinsert, re- reassess. It, it's not safe at the end. It, it no, ends up no, no, worse no. and worse than it than it started. And you're cringing, like you said earlier. Cringe comedy is a form of comedy where <laughs> you're just like you're always on the edge of just like I can't believe this, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Louis C.K. was good at that, but that because of his actions, that has a different flavor now. Well, I would say like my favorite comedian at this, um, besides Andy Kaufman, who we've mentioned before on the show, is Sarah Silverman at this time uh, in America. It's like she should be considered the top comedian in America. I just want to say that because one thing that she's able to do, A, she's able to be political without it being like, uh, like you said earlier, just like crass and didactic. It's not just an illustration. She's able to do it in a way where she like tests your boundaries of what's acceptable and doesn't bring you back to the center where you're safe throws you out into outer space <laughs> and then and then somehow says like guess what outer space is actually that discomfort that's where we all yeah. are mm-hmm. and she once told this amazing joke about adoption that i just thought was i i, I don't know if i should really retell it on the air but i will try where yeah. she's, she's like i went to see her by the way at the comedy cellar and if you're if you're in new york i comedy saw her cellar, once yeah Comedy Cellar is like, you just you don't know who's going to play on any given night. You line up outside. New York yeah, it's is just $14 brilliant. and you yeah, see five comedians. Bucks. And usually one of those comedians is like a superstar. And even if they're not, they're on their way there. It's very high quality. People testing new material. And I, I went there and Sarah Silverman was at her piano, like at the piano in the back. She was like scribbling out on a piece of paper, like jokes. She was like writing jokes uh, while she was waiting to go on stage, which I was like, wow, that was just like incredible from a craft standpoint. She gets up on stage. She has her notebook. She starts to go through the joke. She tells her first joke and she gets no laughs. And so she's like, well, I guess that one didn't work. She crosses it out on the paper. Then she gets to this joke, which I everyone did laugh at, but they started by booing, which is she tells the joke. Uh, and the joke she tells is, is um, so I'm, you know, I'm getting older. I'm thinking about having kids. But I, I, I don't think we need more, more people on this planet. And so I'm thinking of adopting. But, you know, I don't want to adopt like a, a normal kid, you know, because I'm not really sure I want the commitment. So I'm only what I'm doing is I'm going to adopt children who are terminally ill. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and she's and everyone's like boo boo. She's like, what are you talking about? So are you telling me that by like you know that that, that by adopting a child who's going to die that I'm the selfish person <laughs> because <laughs> because I don't have to deal with them for a long time? I'm giving these kids a great life. And so in that one joke though, she really gets at the heart and at the center of like all of the issues regarding like. Uh, how we relate to others, how we adopt, how we choose to have children, like our life stories, all of this, how we create value in our identity. It's so funny how serious you are about the joke. Well, like I unpacked, I've been unpacking that joke for like a year after I saw it. Yeah, it seems like this this is at the core of uh, you thinking about having children and are you helping humanity or not and etc but i I think that that a good joke like you said earlier lasts for 40 years and that that joke for me yeah whenever i think of great jokes i i love but maybe it's my same approach to art that doesn't reference too much outside of the joke itself Mm -hmm. and it's not it's not trying to do too much that joke, for example, does not refer to any period, no, any other person or period of time or cultural moment. It is universal that you would think about having children, right? So that's a universal thing. Then it is universal that you would fear a child dying early, right? Like there would be anxiety about that. And then it's universal that you would, um, you would, you would probably pr- think that you are g- a good person by not associating yourself with child 
child, children that die early. Um, and then that Sarah's able to flip that around on you, the audience, to get you to challenge your assumptions. Yeah. That it, I, it's very I, smart. I, I did notice lately a lot of, of course, politics is crazy, but mm-hmm. this is very predictable. But I don't like too much politics in comedy. So I, I, I went to the comedy cellar the other day and there were no Trump jokes. So that was kind of mm. surprising and was really great because it's too easy. It's, uh, it's what everybody talks about all day. So sometimes you want to talk about something else. And so for me, it's very refreshing when someone makes it. Um, wait, Gary Goldman, he makes a lot of jokes about Oreo cookies or standing in line at Trader Joe's <laughs> and how nice the people right. are there. And he, he, he makes jokes about fruit salad. So he has, he has a 15-minute bit about fruit salad and how the grapefruit is the worst fruit and it just destroys all the other flavors, but the grape <laughs> holds on because it has its skin around and like. It's really refreshing in a time like this to have jokes about fruit salad. Well, you're right. Humor has always played a role, I think, in yeah. all sorts it's, of it, 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 there's this, the, I also love The Onion, but there's this bit of The Onion where they um, Photoshop Noam Chomsky in a hammock with a pina colada, and it's like Noam Chomsky takes a day off and doesn't worry about the plight of the working man, and etc. And uh, do, you, uh, do you ever let go where you're like not trying to <laughs> insert making the world a better place oh absolutely but like you know my favorite thing that you're bringing up your your really good point is that a comedian should really be able to make almost anything funny like give me a bottle of water yeah and and not be responsible like that when when Mm -hmm. comedians are responsible yeah same for artists i'd I'd, no i just think my personal point of view and that's why i brought up sarah silverman is that like if you can like if you can do both things, and it really takes us back to earlier in the podcast when I was talking about when I was eight years old, I found SCTV funny, even though if you look at it, if you were to watch it, there's tons of politics in it, and there's tons of like you know weird stuff going on that were that were specifically socially reactive. But I could still enjoy it as a seven year old, and I think that's good. That's true of good art too, which is that there's multiple layers of entry. And if you if the fruit salad thing, sure, like maybe that's one layer, but maybe there's something underneath that fruit salad that you want to read into. And I think no matter who you are, whether you have a political message or an apolitical message, what's brilliant about comedy is that like you can get at the heart of something someone's thinking at the back of their head, but they're afraid to say or admit. And you can like burst, you can get that to burst right out of their mouth in the form of a laugh. And I just think I find that so incredibly inspirational whenever I see it happen. Um, inspiring because it, it, it's the it's the moment at which people become unstuck, you know, and I love that. I think it's a yeah, beautiful thing. I think we agree on that. Okay. Do okay. we go to a field recording? Yes, we do. Um, hola, hope this finds you too well. I was just at Tashima and saw Christian Boltonsky's Les Archives du Coeur, where he records, <laughs> collects, and displays heartbeats from people since 2008. So far, he recorded 50. 56,665 heartbeats and I asked if they could play them all at once and recorded a sound file of that. So uh, Mr. Damjanski sent us a heartbeat file from an art installation by Boltanski. Very funny. Did he ask them to combine all the heartbeats? How did he ask them to do that? Maybe there was a player and you could press buttons and he's like, can we do them all at once? Wow, okay. So it's almost like a unique work of art on the podcast. It's very funny, no? Heartbeats. Um, yes, well, the heart. Yeah, at the without a heart. Uh, Boltanski is one of one of the most serious artists. I don't know if know. you guys are aware, but he just hangs up pictures of dead people. That's basically his thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> there were many people alive, and they are no longer alive. It, oh yeah. No, I was we thinking, did, what, what would be the the least funny example? Werner Herzog's stand-up comedy would be really funny to well, see. Well, I love I love Werner Herzog's uh, the parody of Werner Herzog reading uh, Where's Waldo book. I'll put it in the <laughs> yeah. show notes. There's also a, a parody of Werner Herzog where he writes a letter to his cleaning lady that she didn't do a good job. <laughs> 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 yeah, the, anytime you have someone that's super serious, a thesis of German comedy. Yeah, well, it does go back to when you're in school and there's the super serious teacher and you just want to have fun, right? So, <laughs> it's easiest to take down. <laughs> yeah, I, I, if I was a teacher, I would not want you in my class at, at 14 years old. Well, tiny story. Kristen was teaching some 13-year-olds the other day, and one of them like went just stuck their foot out as their friend was passing, and they both cracked up laughing, and she got very <laughs> angry. She's like, why you, the victim, would laugh at your friend trying to trip you up? And 
what I was trying to tell her is like, don't you get it? Like when you're that age, it basically seeing y- your friend fail and then <laughs> also having your friend try and fail you is really funny. Fail, hashtag fail. It's funny, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it would be great if, if political leaders would have that sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. And let's listen to some uh, cold, dead heartbeats. I guess all the people whose heartbeats are in this are dead. Is that the... <laughs> Mm, not sure yeah it's, it's very funny it's not clear whether okay. these are living still because have you ever heard this though it's one last thing which is in the laugh tracks of most of the shows that you've ever watched those laugh tracks were recorded um apparently i've always heard this legend like in the 60s and they so they still use the same laugh tracks and most of the people you hear in sitcom laugh tracks are dead so most of uh, <laughs> there you go there that's <laughs> listen to that laugh to that okay Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Keep sending in your field recordings and ads. Bye. Bye.